Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. You're on three triple. Uh, this is the mission, and my name is Vanessa Morris, and I'm filling in tonight with a special show for International Women's Day, and it's really lovely to be here. I would, of course, also like to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which I'm broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to elders past, present, emerging and future. I would also like to acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening into this program right now. Sovereignty has never ceded and it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. As mentioned earlier, this is the mission and I'm Vanessa Morrison. I'm a proud Yoda Yoda Jaja Wrong and Wiradjuri Woman, and I am filling in tonight for International Women's Day, and it is really nice to be here. And I am incredibly honoured to be joined by a couple of special guests tonight, including Wiradjuri Woman, Dr. Michelle Kennedy, who will be joining me later in the show in the second half, where we'll be having a bit of a yarn about decolonizing research and ethical research which is something which is of great personal interest to me so I'm really looking forward to that and Dr Michelle Kennedy also also conducts health research in partnership and co-ownership with Aboriginal communities with support of the National Health and Medical Research Centre's Early Careers Research Fellowship so That's pretty cool and I'm really looking forward to yarning more with them later in the show so you should definitely tune in later on. And also in light of this year's International Women's Day topic or theme, Changing Climates, Equality Today for a Sustainable Tomorrow, which recognises the work, incredible work of women all around the world who are leading the charge on climate change, adaption, mitigation and response and to build a more sustainable future for all, it seemed quite fitting to have a yarn with an incredible First Nations woman who is doing just that. And first off, I will be having a conversation with First Nations woman Amber Rose Atkinson, and we'll be having a yarn about a recent discussion paper that they had produced or co-produced around climate change and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health, which will be really interesting to learn more about. So definitely, obviously, stick around for that. That'll be coming up quite soon. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au.
If you just tuned in to Triple R, this is the mission and I'm Vanessa Morris and I mentioned a few minutes ago that I will be having a yarn now with First Nations woman Amber Rose Atkinson about climate change and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health as well as a few other things. Amber Rose, are you there? Hi. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, good thanks. How are you? Yeah, good thanks. Thanks so much for joining me on the air. Um, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I guess to ease into things, I just wanted to start off and ask and learn a bit more about what sparked your interest in climate change and in environmental sustainability. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess I'll just start off by saying, um, so I just said, hi, um, my name is Amber Rose um, in my Gumbangian Miawa or Gumbangian language, which is the language of my mother's people. Uh, my family name is Flanders and we're saltwater, freshwater people. Um, and I guess to sort of answer your question about what sparked my interest, um, coming from such a beautiful um, place with such uh, a deep uh, connection to country um, is something that I've always been really passionate about. And... Um, yeah, I guess kind of furthered my interest in what I can do um, to protect it in these times. Um, so growing up, um, yeah, my mother worked in Aboriginal health, um, so I was always kind of aware of um, the importance of Aboriginal health um, and what advocating for that um, means, and sort of became increasingly aware of um, the threats and impacts of climate change and environmental degradation was having on our country. Um, so thinking through, like, primary school, water restrictions, um, wondering about where that was coming from and starting to ask more questions throughout um, high school as a teenager, learning about global environmental justice, injustices, um, such as, like, clearing, clearing of rainforests and destruction of habitats for corporate gain, particularly palm oil. Like, those are things that I was really quite interested in. And then coming to university, um, I studied a Master of Public Health at the University of Melbourne, mm -hmm. and I undertook a subject called Environmental Health and Global Challenge Challenges. And I realised that this is a space where I could apply my passion for the environment, my academic skills, and my perspective as a Kumbangi Nyami or Kumbangi woman to hopefully create change um, and advocate for country. So currently I'm undertaking a PhD at the University of Queensland in the School of Public Health, looking at the relationship between the health and well-being of Wadja uh, country and um, First Nations, Wairobin, or people. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Thanks so much for the introduction as well, and thanks so much for giving us a background as to how your interest started in climate change and environmental sustainability, Sorry, as well as... Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health hearing about your mum's working background in that space as well. It just sounds so amazing. And in terms of that space in particular, since you've, I guess, become quite connected to it, have you seen much progression in that space? It's a really great, great question. Uh, sorry, yeah. that's a really great question. Mm -hmm. um, there definitely is progression and um, more awareness. There's a lot more First Nations scholarship in the space, um, but there's definitely a lot more work to go um, with, um, you know, non-Indigenous peoples. We need to kind of hear our voices um, and support uh, Indigenous solutions um, mm. for uh, climate change and environmental sustainability. Um, there's definitely a lot of, I guess, my sort of area is kind of research, and there's definitely a lot of research areas that... Um, 
could really be strengthened through hearing our voices and listening to our perspectives, particularly around environmental health and climate solutions. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's definitely a growing, growing body of scholarship um, looking at climate change impacts on First Nations health and wellbeing outcomes. Yeah, right. And it sounds like that's definitely something that I guess your um, discussion paper that you put out a few months ago in November on climate change here in so-called Australia and its impacts on the health and well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Can you tell us a bit about that discussion paper that you worked on? Yeah, sure. So um, I was a part of a really hard-working team consisting of Kwandamuka Senior Research Fellow Dr. Veronica, Dr. Veronica Matthews, Chris Vine, Grace Lee and Joe Longman, mm -hmm. where we conducted a rapid scoping review of literature where we identified studies linking climate change and health in First Nation or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander populations, mm -hmm. um, asking two questions. Um, so how climate change impacts on health, both directly and indirectly, um, and what are the mitigation and or adaptation approaches to climate change that benefit the health of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and First Nations communities globally. Oh, yeah, cool. And then in terms of the, um, the adaptation and mitigation uh, things that you're talking about, are you able to, I guess, maybe elaborate a bit more on that for those listening at home? Yeah, sure. So... Um, there was, there's amazing work being done in communities all across um, Australia and other First Nations um, communities globally, um, especially mm -hmm. places like Aotearoa, uh, Turtle Island, um, uh, so-called Canada, um, the Sami peoples. Um, I guess the ones that we found or that we spoke to in the discussion paper include um, First Law, Living Waters, um, Decolonising Border Governance um, over in... Uh, uh, native Shadowlands in West Kimberley, um, the Arabana people um, uh, leading a bottom-up participatory process of adaptation planning, highlighting specific areas of local climate concern. Um, there's the Arnhem Land Fire Abatement Program, um, the Torres Strait Regional Adaptation and Resilience Plan, which details how climate change will impact the region's communities and land and sea country um, and what steps can be taken to reduce the um, likely impacts to ensure that, um, you know, the country has a sustainable and viable future. Um, there's also actually a, um, a, I guess, a webinar this Friday, if anyone's uh, interested um, in listening to, called Indigenous Women's um, Leadership and Voice on Climate Change, Breaking the Bias on Exclusion in International Women's Week, um, which has some incredible speakers um, and it's uh, I guess we'll be really speaking to, um, I guess, the knowledge that First Nations women can bring to this space. Um, yeah. My supervisor recently sent me the email for it um, today, actually. I thought that could be a great oh, yeah. to flag. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, you'll have to tell us where we can, I guess, look up and tune into that webinar. That's for sure. Um, in terms of your research as well through that discussion paper, it sounds like it had obviously gone on for a long time and you definitely covered a lot of initiatives that has been, I guess, occurring and happening in future um, in that space, which is absolutely incredible. Um, is there any other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-led initiatives in that space that you'd like to talk about? Um, yeah, sure. There's um, always uh, Seedmob are really great. They're doing incredible work. Um, there's the Aboriginal Carbon Foundation, um, 
Dr. Vanita Mosby, who'll actually be on the, um, the panel that I mentioned earlier, um, Dr. Veronica Matthews, there's, there's so many people that are really contributing um, and leading the way uh, in this space. Um, but I think we can we can call out and hear their work and hear their stories and solutions. Um, it's definitely really needed at a time where, you know, currently humanity is facing catastrophic uh, climate crises mm. and we really need to um, prioritise, elevate and value First Nations um, solutions. Yeah, the... The impacts of climate change is quite full-on and severe and we are seeing it through those catastrophic events such as severe weather events and whatnot, um, which is quite heartbreaking to see. And the work that you're doing in that space is so incredibly important and you're the First Nations initiatives that are going on that I guess everyone out there should, listening in should definitely look up and find out more about them. And then in terms of, I guess, the climate change space and the impacts or the immediate and long-term changes that we may or may not see, um, is there any kind of changes that you hope to see in the immediate or long-term in terms of climate change action? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess just quickly I'll loop back and state that Globally, um, First Nations peoples uh, comprise of less than 6% of the world's population, um, yet we protect 80% of the Earth's biodiversity in forests, deserts, um, Arctic, Greenlands and marine environments. Um, yet the health impacts of climate change are disproportionately borne by First Nations uh, peoples, mm-hmm. um, yet we contribute the least to rising greenhouse gas emissions. And on top of that, climate change is further exacerbating already existing health inequalities, particularly from colonisation and creating new ones that degrade the health of our communities and the health of country and our kin. So I guess to answer that, um, I really would like to see First Nations voices being heard um, and and elevated because Mm -hmm. we are the the knowledge holders who can really help um, to drive attainable solutions that will benefit not only First Nations communities but also the rest of the Australian you know, community and and globally. Yeah, yeah. I think definitely hearing more from First Nations voices on this matter is incredibly important. And I just definitely want to say a huge thanks to you for coming on the air and sharing your knowledge and having a yarn about this topic and about the climate change and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health discussion paper that you've worked on as well. And I also just want to ask you quickly about the webinar that's this Friday. Um, where can people look that up to tune in? Do you know? Uh, yeah, sure. It is. I'm just looking at my email. Sorry. It's all right. Um, it's run through YouTube, so I'm not sure if it is um, privately, but maybe if you... I might Google it and send it to yeah, um, yeah, definitely. send it to you if I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you flick it through, and we can share the link around for those listening in at home that may like to tune in on when on Friday. I think that it'll be amazing. I definitely will be tuning in and yeah thanks so much for jumping on the air, Amber Rose. It's been really lovely to have a conversation with you. No worries. Thanks so much. Just lastly, I'll say we can't have justice for First Nations peoples without climate justice. So, yeah, these issues are really important and we have to work together um, and elevate First Nations voices um, to 
ensure that we have a future to survive and thrive in. Yeah, 100%. Thanks so much, Amber Rose. And if you've just tuned in out there, you're listening to 3 R, and I have been having a yarn with First Nations woman Amber Rose Atkinson around climate change and, yeah, elevating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices in this space as it's so incredibly important in leading the way. And, yeah, I just want to say thanks again, Amber. It's been really lovely and... Yeah, I'm sure we'll hear more from you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mission on 3 Triple R, and my name's Vanessa Morris, and I am filling in on the show tonight. And I'm now super lucky to have a Wiradjuri woman. Dr. Michelle Kennedy on the air with me to have a yarn about decolonizing research and well as well as a few other things. So Michelle, are you here? Are you there? Yeah, hi. Hey. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining me on the air. It's really lovely to have you here. I'm really looking forward to having a yarn and learning more about decolonizing research and the work that you do. Uh, do you want me to just introduce where I'm connecting from? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I'm coming to you from the lands of the dark and young people down on the central coast of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to pay respects to our elders here, past and present and emerging. I've stepped out of an event at the University of Newcastle's held. We have a gifting day tomorrow to raise funds for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-led research, um, which really segues into what decolonising research is. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, yeah, and I noticed that recently that you did a masterclass on decolonising research through the Lewitcher Institute. Can you tell us a bit about that masterclass? Yeah, I was really honoured that Lewitcher reached out to me. Um, they've got a members services uh, program at Lewitcher Institute where they support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander researchers, but also non-Indigenous researchers working in Aboriginal health um, with a whole range of um, masterclasses and training and resources. So when I met with them, they were talking through some of the things that um, they were hearing from their members that they wanted to learn more about. And we come to the idea that decolonising research, a bit of an introduction would be a good idea. So we set aside three hours thinking that might be okay, but mm-hmm. three hours on Zoom is normally too, like, a lot, yeah. but it was uh, not too much. We ended up staying online for a million hour afterwards, just yeah. yarning with mob afterwards. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole workshop is really about um, providing it with just an introduction of what decolonising research is, mm-hmm. um, which is quite a large and complex kind of thing, mm-hmm. but the sort of elevator picture of what decolonising research is is that it's about acknowledging that what we know as research mm-hmm. um, has been developed on a Western construct. You know, mm-hmm. we're working within Western models mm-hmm. and decolonising research has Indigenous people globally saying, well, actually, we need to acknowledge our way of knowing, being and doing in mm-hmm. the types of research that's being generated about us. And in terms of decolonising research and the self-determination of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-led research, it's definitely a thing that a place like Lewitcher Institute 
I guess, elevate and really platform. And, yeah, can you, for those listening in at home, can you maybe just explain a bit about that and working with Lewitcher Institute? Yeah, Lewitcher Institute are currently running, or they just closed possibly, seeding grants where they're funding Aboriginal communities to do Mm. research that matters to them, which can then be um, used to develop some kind of foundational knowledge to go for larger grants in the next year. And they also switch that uh, and alternate that with scholarships. So they help fund Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to do Mm -hmm. masters and PhDs, really building um, Aboriginal-led research Mm -hmm. from communities because yeah. we know not everyone's going to want to do a PhD mm-hmm. um, and our community members, we, we have knowledge. You don't need a PhD to, yeah. to know, really. We're, some of, we're the oldest living culture in the world. Our people know what they're talking about. We have mm-hmm. sciences and knowledge systems. Um, so we don't need everyone to do a PhD. So the funded projects are about communities coming together and saying, this is what's a priority to improve our health and wellbeing. And then when they're running scholarship rounds, it's about helping our mob that do want to do PhDs to get through that process. Yeah. And also offering opportunities for everyone to come together too because we need that support, you know, sometimes. When I did my PhD, I was the only Aboriginal person doing like a health PhD at the time. So making sure that I had opportunities to connect with mob across the country and build my own sort of support system to be able to navigate, that was really important. Yeah, well, and, yeah, it sounds really amazing that Lewich is providing opportunities um, for people from community to explore research, like you're saying, and obviously in consulting with or engaging with community is incredibly important in researching in that space as well. Um, can you tell us a bit about, I guess, maybe methodologies or practices that you, I guess, do through research? Yeah, so um, one of the aspects of decolonising research is that it really has this broad brushstroke. It's not just mm. sort of the measurement tool that you have to, to test something, um, mm. particularly in health, because they like a survey or a measurement tool or a you know, depression measure or something like that. Mm. Um, and it goes beyond that and saying, well, actually, the type of question that researchers are asking, for like the first step of research and saying, what are we, what are we looking at here? That should be led by... Aboriginal people and communities to make sure that all that work and that investment is is meaningful to us. Um, So in the work that I do, I always choose methods and methodologies for my research that privilege uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community voices, whether that's uh, from a health service level, whether I'm ensuring that the health service policy level uh, voice is privileged, or whether it's on the ground where I've, you know, gone out and yarned with women in my community to say, you know, when we're talking about this topic, I want my community reflected in some of these discussions. And that's mm. really the power we have as, as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander researchers to make sure that we're truly privileged in these spaces and in these discussions and that we're careful in how we're writing about and we're speaking about our people and our health and our well-being. Yeah, right. And because earlier you were also mentioning the Aboriginal ways of knowing, being and doing and obviously the decolonising research and doing things uh, in community and working and having conversations with people in community that isn't the ways of, I guess, a Western construct. And I think that's a really incredible thing. And... um, One thing that I have noticed through, I guess, doing my research is that ethical 
research as well versus unethical research is something that is of interest for you. And can you tell us a bit about that kind of space of ethical versus unethical research? Yeah, I um, found it really amazing when I learned about ethical research, this topic of ethics, because in reality, I didn't learn ethics when I did a PhD. I learned ethics when I was an 18-year-old wanting to work in a community service with a Wobbicool and my communities, you know, and our community is always teaching us the right way of doing things, the right processes and protocols. And our ethical guidelines are the, the sort of guiding principles that tell researchers how they should go about their work. Um, but for me, that Aboriginal communities have always had that role to play. But for researchers, they haven't always had to do that. They've always, they've, you know, come in from the boats and been able to do whatever research on our bodies and they did do that um, and mm. did that for a set purpose, you know, to continue this story of Terra Nullis and to dehumanise us. Um, and so ethical research is really acknowledging that all of this really unethical practice has happened in our country and there are guidelines and things that researchers need to follow if they want to work with our people. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks so much for explaining that. It's definitely something that is important doing ethical research versus unethical which has obviously happened in past and hopefully we're seeing researchers take more of the ethical methodologies than yeah unethical but anyway um in terms of working in the research space as well has there been any um noticeable changes or any progression in that space that you'd like to talk about yeah, I mean, we've had lots of progress in terms of ethical guidelines and the development of them. But what I was really alarmed at when I sort of came into research, I was a social worker before that, um, and when I came into research, I thought, wait a second, no one's actually checked if people are doing this? Like, mm. has anyone actually gone back to Aboriginal communities and said, hey, how's it going? Mm. Um, so a couple of years ago, I wrote a grant um, for a project and it's called Maruminya, which um, in Wiradjuri is you know, the path to explain something. And, and that project is really centred around going out to Aboriginal communities and saying, what's happening? What's happening when researchers come here and what needs to happen into the future? Um, I'm also going to speak with researchers, which will be Indigenous and non-Indigenous researchers, and also our ethics and governing bodies to really examine how research has been conducted and how we can improve that. I've had a look at... I somehow found the strength to read 2,150 papers. I found mm -hmm. every paper in Aboriginal health that's been published since Closing the Gap to really mm -hmm. look at what's being done. Yeah. I don't recommend it to anyone. It was a wow. bit of a nightmare, but <laughs> but it helped me really understand what types of research are being done and what mm. types of research is, you know, inevitably making an impact on, mm. on the policies and practices that are coming into our health services. Yeah, well, and Maraminya is the new project that you are working on, and mm -hmm. thanks for introducing that as well. Is there anywhere that people can go to find out more about it? Very shortly, we're going to have a website that's live um, and it's just muddleminia.com.au. I will make sure I put it on Twitter. Uh, we've yeah. taken some time to really think about how we can keep communicating back to everyone about the project and where we're going and what we're finding and mm. so people aren't 
you know, none of my family or community are going to read my research papers, mm. so I need to make sure I build something that, you know, means something to them and they can check up on where things are at. So the website will be live very shortly um, and we're going through the process of getting national ethics for the project. So it will take some time before I would go to community. Mm-hmm. Um, but then hopefully we'll, we'll have a lot of media um, coming out just mm-hmm. to really let communities know that they can contact us. But I encourage any community, Aboriginal communities that are interested in research or have had negative experiences or positive to to reach out to me at the University of Newcastle and, and have a yarn. Yeah, so, because you do the work through the University of Newcastle and then I also noticed that you are quite active as on um, active on Twitter, but I guess that people could look you up and follow you there, sustain you. Yeah, drop me a line on yeah. Twitter, absolutely. <laughs> any any way people can, um, can connect with me yeah. is, is always encouraged. I just had the Witcher connecting me with a community today because... You know, they wanted to do some more stuff and see if I can offer some more sort of training and support for community-based researchers. Um, so any way that I can be of service to community or help or advocate, I'm always up for that. Yeah, great. Thanks so much for joining me for a yarn, Michelle. It's been really incredible to have a yarn. Thanks so much. Yeah, and... For those listening in at home as well, I've been having a yarn with Dr. Michelle Kennedy and we've been talking about decolonising research and the new project, Mata Minya, as well, which you should definitely keep an eye out for as I'm sure that we'll hear more about it soon. Um, yeah, thanks so much, um, Michelle. And I'm just about wrapping up and about to go to a song, but yeah, I just wanted to say thanks again. Thanks for having me. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mission on 3RRR and my name is Vanessa Morrison. I've been hanging out with you over the last hour and having a couple of incredible yarns with some amazing First Nations women, including Amber Rose Atkinson. And we spoke earlier in the show about climate change and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health and ending off there was a yarn with Dr. Michelle Kennedy and we spoke about decolonising research and their new project, Madame Minya, as well. Until next time, I hope you have a really beautiful night and an incredible wrap-up to International Women's Day. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>